Welcome back, everyone, to After the Sermon Ends. We know that after the sermon ends, the conversations can begin. Today, I'm joined by just Pastor Marcus this morning. How are we doing, Pastor? Can't complain. I think it's the first time I've actually called you Pastor on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always say Pastor Marcus, but then I always just go back to just calling you Marcus. Right. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine either way. Yeah. What about brother? If people started calling you, coming in here, calling you brother. In Christ. Yeah. Amen. There we go. So you continued our series in Romans, finishing out the chapter in verses 18 through 21 in chapter 5. Uh, yeah, why don't you give us a quick recap of it? Yeah, so uh, Romans 5, the entire chapter, it it comes off of the back of Paul's supreme illustration of justification by faith alone, uh, where he used Abraham, which comes on the back of, or off of the back of, his instruction on justification by faith alone. So in chapter 5, he's he begins with dealing, uh, or begins by dealing with two threats to the believer's assurance, right? Um, you know, justification is, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, um, and we certainly celebrate that. And when we think about that word justification, it's hard to uh, not believe it. Believe it's not the best word. To to comprehend it, to uh, embrace it fully, to um, enjoy it when we struggle with the two greatest threats to our assurance, um, and that's sin and death, right? The sin that you struggle with, the death that's imminent, um, unless the Lord returns first, and um, you know, the, so he begins dealing with assurance there. Then in verses 12 through 21, we saw this comparison between Adam and Christ, mankind's two representatives. And so we saw that death is in Adam, life is in Christ. And he goes on to, you know, make more comparisons. But in verses uh, 18 through 21, it really summarizes uh, his comparison there. And then 20 and 21, he, uh, he brings up the law, right? Any Jew hearing this argument, reading this letter, um, they would have been concerned about, you know, Paul's, like, complete omission of the law in this whole argument. So, that, I mean, that's the 30,000-foot view of it all. Yeah, and I really liked just how you started off your message about like kind of bringing in the context of the chapter and also the rest of the book, <coughs> where you're talking about how like the the book talks about how we are more sinful than we could ever know and in our life and in our flesh, but in Christ we are more loved and we are um, and His provision is greater than we could ever imagine. Yep. and so. We see this justification played against our flesh, and, and we see the direct comparison between Adam and Christ here, too, mm -hmm. of the two heads of humanity in history, of Adam representing the, the head that was supposed to bring life in, in the design of God, mm -hmm. but failed and brought, brought death, which was impossible for, for man to reverse on its own. And then we see Christ and his... And, in his work, changing all that for us. So, um, yeah, the, it, it makes it so that the justification overrides and overpowers the, the sinfulness of man. And without this comparison between Adam and Christ, we wouldn't have that. We wouldn't know 
that justification does that. It would be, we'd still be feeling like, you know, justification does a part, but we've got to do a part as well. Right. Right. And, you know, back to your point, in the first Adam, all mankind fell, right? Original sin, the fall, um, it's all there. In Christ, you know, all who receive uh, the gospel, who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin and promise of eternal life, I mean, there's life there. It's, it's e- life eternal. Um, we walk in the newness of life now. It's everything in Christ is life as the second Adam, as mankind's second representative um, who does more than, you know, just reverse. He he completely surpasses, um, completely restores what was lost in Adam. Yeah, so before we get too much into the meat of this, I do want to just uh, add some context. Uh, we talked about it a little bit on the podcast last week, but there, there still might be some confusion for the listener who hasn't heard your messages or is coming to this for the first time. When, you're, when we talk about... Um, Adam's uh, trespass and Christ's sacrifice um, leading to uh, condemnation and then justification for all men, where because it, it says all men twice. Um, I just want to go back into it just briefly. Uh, can you give us a brief overview of what it means when it says all men? Because we had a little confusion last week where all men was meaning the entirety of humanity when it was in Adam, but all men didn't necessarily mean that when it was in Christ. Yeah, again, Paul is setting up a comparison, right? And in the way that he sets up his argument or arranges his argument here is he's trying to draw this parallel, right? So when when we go to the Word, um, and just for example, verse 18, uh, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, right? He's already argued all the way back in verse 12, um, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, right? All. Everybody. Every human being that has existed since Adam, everybody fell in Adam. It's like um, when uh, somebody on a football team jumps offside, the the whole team is penalized, right? Um, But he's already argued in... Uh, Chapter 3, verse 9, he says, What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, he's been telling us this over and over and over again. And uh, we mentioned it Sunday, but, you know, he's he's broadly painting the world's religious history. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. So, when we come to that first all, it's consistent with his argument, right? Everything that we've seen so far, it's all consistent. That all men refer to everybody who's existed from Adam, or which is everybody. Yeah. All men. Uh-huh. I don't, I'm don't trying to find another way to right. say it. Um, but then when we come to the, the second part of verse 18, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for phrase, all men. Mm-hmm. Now, when we turn back to um, to chapter 3 and earlier in the letter, we see, um, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
when I use, so my preaching, the Bible that I preach from, large font, like, so I can see it and everything else, um, uh, the pages are different. So, like, I can picture where it is. Um, <laughs> but I cannot write here. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Duh, just keep reading. Um, 324, the end of it, redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Right, so this justification, this redemption, this um, wrath-bearing sacrifice, it, it the consequences of that or the effects of that or the benefits of that, they must be received. So this all men here, when we come back to it, it wouldn't be consistent to say all men um, who have existed since Adam are saved, um, they're justified because Christ came and died for them. No, this the second all men here, if we're going to be consistent or harmonize it with just what we see earlier in Paul's letter, we know, hey, it's something that must be received by faith. And then we harmonize it with the rest of uh, the rest of Scripture, and we see the same thing, that it's that the free gift of salvation is something that needs to be received. Justification is not something that we earn. When we go back to um, Abraham, what we see in that illustration in Romans 4 is that Abraham, he was uh, declared righteous. God declared him righteous or justified him apart from the works, or apart from works of the law, apart from circumcision, right? It was by grace alone, through faith alone, in, in God alone, in Abraham's case. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, reading in my study Bible this morning about it, trying to get some more context, and like it, it can be kind of tough to understand if you just read these verses. If you just stay in these two or three verses where it talks about it and you see the direct comparison, you see the same phrasing, like, and you can, you can kind of get confused, but you have to look at the whole context of not just the chapter, but the whole book. And like in the, the study Bible note, it said... Like, as referenced by uh, chapter 1, verse 16, all the way to chapter 5, verse 12. I'm like, you're telling me I got to go, go read all that to get this context? But I'm like, we've already have been in that. But you look at um, 116, and it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so going back to that message of it has, it, it's, for those who receive it, for those who believe it, like the gospel is the power of God, but it's for those who believe in Him. Yep. And so that's some some helpful uh, clarification there. Yeah, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him, who whosoever or whoever, sorry, the King James. That's why I have to oh, read I, it. I say whosoever. Yeah, His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him. Oh, yeah, I don't say believeth, I say believes. <laughs> well, I mean, we just need to improve that. But anyways, um, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Um, 8 or 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Mm-hmm. 19, whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, the Bible is, is clear about this. You know, so what, what you're referring to 
when we just stick to these one or two verses, it's highlighter theology, mm-hmm. right? Where we like we highlight it, and it's our quote-unquote life verse, and we miss the immediate context and the larger context, and then the the meta narrative of scripture, and it produces disastrous results, like the one that we're referring to here with all men. Um, if we don't make that distinction, and all men means the same thing in both cases, um, or I, it, yeah, sorry, I was about to make a really minor distinction, but anyways, if all men, if all men means the same thing in both cases, in that all are justified just because Jesus came and died, and it's not something that needs to be received by faith. I mean, we're talking about universalism. All roads lead to heaven, mm-hmm. right? And then if that's the case, well, then what What stops the, you know, the, the Buddhist from being a faithful Buddhist, never um, receiving the Lord and saving faith? And what, what stops him from getting into heaven? You know, we start to unravel the Bible when we uh, get into highlighter theology. Yeah, and there's probably a surprising amount of even Christians in in America today who who will probably agree with the the general assumption of universalism that you know they're they're doing what they think is right and other people are, are doing what they think is right and as long as they're quote unquote good people they'll they'll end up where they need to be and that is definitely not what Paul has been teaching us in Romans whatsoever. Exactly, good people don't make it into heaven. Believers do. Right. That's good. That's good. So jumping down into um, the comparison between the acts. So we've looked at um, what Adam and Christ are for the people, but now we're actually looking at their acts. We're looking at the trespass of Adam, which was his first trespass of eating of the fruit. Um, And then we're looking at the one act of obedience uh, from Christ, which you were clarifying was his death on the cross. But what I really loved Sunday was how you highlighted that Christ's one act of obedience was built upon the foundation of his life full of obedience. Yep. Like he never sinned, and I don't think we ever fully grasp the weight of that, of how massive that is, a full life, 33 years of never sinning. Yep. And because of that life that he lived, it allowed him to have that one act of obedience. Mm-hmm. Whereas any, you know, Joe Schmo person, even like besides Adam, could have and would have failed that first commandment and would have failed it um, in that one act of disobedience. Mm-hmm. And we do that every day anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, that was so crucial for me is like Christ's one act of obedience built upon his life of obedience. Like that's what truly covers us here. Yeah. That's one of those things in, in yeah. It deserves a, a fuller explanation, um, but I tried to summarize and simplify, which I'm uh, not sure if I did a really good job on that, but, I mean, praise God for the encouragement, whatever stuck. Right. Theologians make the distinction between passive and active obedience when referring to Christ's obedience. What Paul is referring to here is his, his substitutionary death, his death on the cross, which is referred to as his passive obedience, right? Because in his life, he actively obeyed the divine commandment, perfectly, sinlessly, 
I mean, there's no comparison. Now, in uh, in his death, he submitted to the punishment for sin in our place because again, he did it. Uh, he didn't sin. He obeyed perfectly um, in every respect. And so his active and passive obedience combined, right, his perfectly sinless life um, and his substitutionary death, they, 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 they give us, the, they give believers, all who believe in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin and promise of eternal life, um, a righteousness that is not of our own, right? When we're declared righteous... We're not made righteous, we're declared righteous, yeah. right? That's why we're uh, sinners and just at the same time, simultaneously. Um, and so, because we have Christ's righteousness imputed to our account, um, it's his sinless life and uh, substitutionary death that uh, that covers us, that, that counts for our behalf. So every... Every step, every ounce of his obedience in his life and in his death um, are a matter of life and death for us, right? As mankind's second representative, um, you know, if he had disobeyed at any point, well, then we wouldn't have a righteousness to stand on. Yeah, and I think so many people struggle with that. Like, it's, like I know I do on a lot of days where it's like that, that, sinner and sanctified coexisting identity that we have where it's like we still sin we still struggle with it and we still have the flesh but we're also justified we're also in Christ and we have to instead of having that cause us to you know go insane and like have this battle of wills inside of us all the time we need to instead rely on that imputed righteousness you you gave us a quote from Tim Keller I believe on Sunday about um, how his righteousness was not just to remove the penalty of sin, but it was to obey for us. Yep. Uh, that's not the exact quote, but uh, go look it up if you want and uh, let us know your thoughts on it. But it was, yeah, not just to remove that penalty of the sin in our lives and then letting us go from there, but it's to obey for us. And then yep. we rely on that obedience, that righteousness for the rest of our Christian life. That's it. And that's, that is fundamental um, to understand, to really embrace. Martin Luther, he had a phrase, um, simul justice et, et peccator uh, in Latin. Nice. And it, it's one of, those, one of those phrases that easily kind of like uh, can get away from us. But that's what we're saying. We're simultaneously justified and a sinner. Um, while we're still here, before glorification. And every believer with uh, that has the indwelling Holy Spirit living in them, which is every born-again believer, um, yeah, the, the Holy Spirit is molding us and shaping us, conforming us into the image of Christ. And it, it's one of those things that... I, I think that there are some some Christian circles where... Um, some Christian circles and some that claim to be Christian, um, where they talk about exactly what you just described, where you, had, you, you know, Jesus saves you, and then it's up to you, mm. and you're walking in your strength and your power, um, 
And I think we covered it last week, but where Paul in Galatians says, you know, like, what are you doing? Having uh, begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, it's not one of the things that we can do in our own effort ever. Um, And that doesn't mean that we just give up and throw our hands up, right? We don't just, you know, say like, hey, whatever. No, we, we discipline ourselves, right? We prioritize God and the things of God, not just on Sundays and Wednesdays, uh, but every day of the week. And so I think that the, that the Holy Spirit uses those things. Well, I know that the Holy Spirit uses those things to mold us and shape us, to conform us, to, to prick our hearts when, when we're sinning, to um, give us discernment in those moments where, you know, we're like, on the edge of a bad decision. And so in our in our very distracted world, it's very hard to do those things, right. um, which is why, again, you need to be surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to provide accountability, encouragement, and support. If they don't provide those things, you probably need to be looking for another community. Yeah, so with the last few minutes here, I just wanted to jump down into those last couple of verses and, and talk about the law. The uh, law. Very interesting verse there where it's talking about how the law came to increase the trespass. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you give us some clarification on that verse? Yeah, so the impact of the law, right? Like we talked about at the beginning of all this, uh, any Jew hearing this argument, reading this letter, um, or a student of the Old Testament may have been wondering... Uh, you know, why hasn't Paul mentioned the law? Because most Jews of Jesus's and Paul's day and even preceding them believed that, that the law reversed what Adam introduced, sin and death. All right, they, they believed that, that, the, that the law would restrain sin, that the law would um, make people more holy, make them more uh, godly, et cetera, et cetera. And again, he's not trying to undercut the value of the law or the law's importance in redemptive history. But what he is recognizing is that the law was temporary in redemptive history and that the law never saved anyone, right? Obedience to the law never damned a person to hell, and obedience to it never saved a person um, or made them righteous. Only God could do that. And again, that's why Romans 4 is so important when we interpret this verse. Right when we look back to Abraham's life, it was before the law. It was before circumcision, it, and we saw in Abraham's life that he hadn't—he didn't have the best track record. Right, he wasn't this like perfectly sinless person. No, he did sin. He did disobey, but he had faith, and on the basis of his faith, uh, God justified him. So. Um, the law, then, when he's talking about increasing sin, the law can count sin. It can't reverse it or counter mm-hmm. sin. Um, so with the law, people became more aware of their innate sinfulness, of their inherent sinfulness. Uh, we talked about on Friday. I don't, I don't think I mentioned it on Sunday, but you know, when in the army, there were signs everywhere that said "Stay off the grass." You know, you had to walk. Um, on the sidewalk, and I understand why. There's 
thousands of soldiers, tens of thousands of soldiers, some places hundreds of thousands of soldiers that go, um, you know, to these different buildings or whatever the case may be. You do that enough walking on the grass, you get messed up grass and it's all torn up and it looks trashy and nobody wants that. But um, that sign, it's like, like you just want to defy it. You're just like, no, that's not the most direct route into the building. I don't want to walk all the way around just to get in. And it's it's the same thing with speed limit signs. You know, it's like um, speed, It there's nothing wrong with the sign. There's nothing wrong with the law, right? The law is good, right? He says in Romans 7:12, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good, right? Paul isn't saying that the law is bad. But because we're sinners, when we see that keep off the grass sign, when we see that uh, speed limit sign, or that stop sign that we like to roll through because it's very convenient and there's never anybody coming or whatever the case is, you know, there's something in us that wants to rebel against it. Um, and it's, it's our sinful nature. But that doesn't make the law or the sign bad. Um, but the law, again, it, it can count. People became more aware of their sin, and I tried to save as much as the, of as much of that for Romans seven as I could, um, because he says, uh, "Yeah, Romans seven, verse seven, the second half." Actually, I'll just read the whole thing. He says, "What then shall we say?" that the law is sin by no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. And, and so what we see is Paul just clarifying for us, right? Making it clear later, which he, he points forward pretty often, but the law counts sin. It doesn't counter uh, sin and death. So the law, again, it was temporary. It was, um, you know, something that was made to point people to uh, to their need yeah. for a Savior. Mm. Um, Luke, you know, the, the parable of the, um, of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? Uh, God have mercy on me, a sinner the tax collector says, versus the self-righteous Pharisee, you know, who's boasting uh, in himself and his works. And so, you know, if you obeyed the entire law, that didn't make you any more righteous before God, but it did give you a pattern for righteous living if you belonged to God. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, nothing wrong with righteous living, but like it still had, it still doesn't fix the heart. Right. <clears throat> like and even those Pharisees who were probably the best of the best at keeping the law, like we still see issues like that with in that in that story with the the tax collector and the Pharisee where he's still caught up in boasting. Like yep. that's where his sin is. Yep. And Jesus identifies that for us. And uh, just kind of going back to your analogy with the the walking on the grass sign. Uh, we were talking about it on Friday about like how s- some people are just inherent rule followers and they like they're, they're not as motivated to break rules when they see signs like that but like you look at like even the rule followers like they will be tempted and like th- there's there's going to be rules that they are tempted to break and like because of the law too yeah. 
but they just may not be as motivated to break just the the open laws like speed limits and stop signs right. and things like that. Right. Um, but yeah, um, that yeah that was really helpful for me too when when I was listening to that about how the the law increases and I like that that one liner of like it, the law counts a sin but doesn't counter sin. Yep. It doesn't curb the the sin, um, but it just shows us our just uh, inability to save ourselves even yep. more. So that was really good. And then finally, we just come to that final truth. Like this just kind of wraps up the, the whole chapter and uh, up to this point about how assurance of salvation and justification comes only through Jesus Christ. Like you showed us the comparison between 5.1 and then 5.21 of how it's through Jesus Christ our Lord, ultimately. Yep. So. Yep, we were under the reign of sin and consequently <coughs> death, um, but in Christ we... Uh, we who have been justified by faith in Christ have life. Um, we will share in the world to come. We'll share in the new creation. We will reign with him as co-heirs in Christ. Um, and we'll share in a cosmic renewal, uh, which is the consummation of God's purposes. And it's it's through the Lord, beginning and end, right? So assurance is never in my ability, my success, my rule following. Um, and and that's something that we should probably demystify here. People think that the Old Testament is a bunch of rules and the New Testament is a bunch of like, you know, just do whatever you want. Um, and that's not the case. And that's what Paul will go on to argue. Oh, yeah. 6-1. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, for for the purposes of time, you know, we'll just keep it short there are we still have a a very clear pattern of godly living of righteous living if you belong to the lord um and and it's definitely not all these like ceremonies and rituals and and it's not the same pattern as the old testament but with a changed heart the the believer has a desire now which is given to them by the spirit um to, again, be conformed to the image and likeness of Christ in uh, his obedience. Yeah, that's good. I think that's a great place to end for today. Uh, Listener, we pray that this uh, conversation was beneficial for you and that um, you'll continue to join us in this journey through Romans. If you want, you can join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. at City Church in Gainesville. We're also going through apologetics on Wednesday nights for our adults, and we also have kids and youth on Wednesday nights starting at 6.30, also at City Church in Gainesville. Um, We pray that you'd join us at any of those times. If you have any questions, uh, concerns, comments, snotty remarks, Marcus, where can they be sent? JoshXRichards at gmail.com. Yes, maybe without the snotty remarks, but we'll see. But listener, until next time. Thank you.